You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, welcome into Loho Daily. I'm Lawrence Holmes, a.k.a. Loho. Look, one of the great things about having this podcast is that there are other subjects that I can get to on the podcast that I may not have time for on the radio show. And I've, if you listen to the last few podcasts, I've been talking about this. If today's today's Wednesday. Okay. When I'm recording this Tuesday night was the NBA draft lottery. The bulls end up picking seventh. I don't think that there's going to be any time on my radio show today to talk about white Sox, but I want to talk about the white Sox. Luckily I have a podcast where I can do that. Because I'm telling you that most of the show today is going to be Bulls conversation. That's not going to happen a lot. And I, I can also tell you that there's going to be a lot of Bulls content that finds its way to Loho Daily. Because we're going to talk about this and then we're going to let it go. We're going to let it go into the ether. But I wanted to talk about the White Sox. I think that they're a really interesting team. I don't, I don't know if they rise to the level of supplanting us talking the news of the day with the Bulls and and the Cubs. But I do want to make sure that I can carve out a place where I can do White Sox talk. So I invited my buddy Slavko Bekovic from NBC Sports Chicago on. Slav is is one of the producers on the football after show, but he's a crazy White Sox fan. And he and I talk about the White Sox quite a bit. So I thought that we could do that. We could have a conversation. And for those of you that need your White Sox fix, we wanted to give it to you. We talk a lot about fandom in here and kind of the character of White Sox fans, along with talking about what's going on with the 2019 White Sox and beyond. I think you'll enjoy it. If you're a White Sox fan, you're going to really enjoy it. But even if you're if you're just a baseball fan, I think you'll in, in, enjoy the conversation. And Slav's really good. I'm I'm not surprised, but I think I may have found someone I can put on regularly to talk White Sox on this podcast, and that's a good thing. Me and Slavko Bekovic talking White Sox right here on Loho Daily. How did you become a White Sox fan? You know, it's, it's funny. I kind of tell this story to all my friends or you know, people that find out what I do for a living. I, I never really liked sports until, like, age eight or nine uh, as a kid. I remember vividly this moment being in my – uh, grandparents' kitchen watching Scooby Doo, and my grandfather walked into the kitchen. He's like, "Look, man, you gotta you gotta put this this kid stuff away. Come come over here and come watch some baseball. Let's watch some sports." And he takes me to the front room of his house, and and he's watching the Athletics and the White Sox. And I'll never forget Mark Johnson hit a walk off home run, and Hawk Harrelson, obviously on the call, just lost his mind. And I'm like, "Whoa, this is really exciting. If all these games are like this, and you know this guy on TV is losing his stuff." I'm going to watch more baseball. And from that moment on, every single sport, I was all in. It, it just flip of a switch just like that. So was it hard for you when Hawks said goodbye? Um, 
Yeah, actually, I mean, he's really the reason. He's the reason why I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I did some play-by-play in the past. He was the reason why him and Pat Foley specifically were the reason why I wanted to get into sports as a profession. I knew right away that I loved sports, but I knew because of Hawk Harrelson that I wanted to work in sports. So having him step aside and, you know, to this day, and as much as I love Jason Benetti, it's like in my blood, it's instinctual that, you know, when a ball's hit high and deep, that ball hit deep, or you can put it on the board, you just have these hawkisms that naturally you just sit out and you don't really know why, but I hope that never goes away. Because then I can tell, you know, my kids hopefully one day, Hawk Harrelson was the reason why. Here's some, you know, examples of some of his calls and some of his legendary Hawkisms. Um, to me, he's an absolute legend. I know he's kind of a polarizing figure, uh, especially among White Sox fans. But how can you not love somebody who lives and breathes White Sox baseball? You grew up on the east side, correct? I did, yeah. What's the fan breakdown over there? Ooh, it's. I'd say it's honestly pretty 50-50. Obviously, it's far southeast side, so you're expecting a lot more White Sox fans. But um, when I was growing up, Sammy Sosa was pretty much all the rage. So the Sosa um, and all the fans kind of gravitating towards the home runs became Cubs fans. Um, for some reason, for me, just because of Hawk and you know, that first game that I watched with my grandfather, the Sox and the South Side just stood out to me. And you know, over the course of the years, as I started to understand sports more and really kind of absorbed the information around the game a lot more. Just for some reason, the White Sox just stuck. I loved Frank Thomas as a kid. Um, you know, obviously Mark Burley then came into the picture pretty uh, soon after that. He's one of my favorites. Then 05 with the World Series. I mean, it just grew and grew and grew. But I pretty much knew right away that it was going to be White Sox, um, even though the neighborhood that I was in was pretty 50-50. All right, Slav, I want you to move because your your cell is almost clear, but it's not clear enough. So can you Okay, do you want me to so I was gonna go into the newsroom and you can actually call me on my desk. That's probably gonna give you the best audio, but I'll just have to mute everything around me. All right. All right, do that. that with you? Yeah. Just let me I'll text you the number in a sec. Okay, cool. Okay, so now that we've got the phone situation cleared up, have you know like landlines, man, I we still need them, I think. Yeah, the quality is just way better. And I figured I'll go in the green room. It's you know it's silent in there. I close the door, lock myself off from the rest of the world. All right, so so let's let's get back into it. So you're you're over on the southeast side, and it's kind of split. And did you ever feel like you had to, I don't know, like fight for your White Sox fandom because the Cubs thing and the Sosa thing was so prevalent when you were a young fan? Absolutely. Every single day that baseball got brought up, you felt like you had to, you know, represent for the White Sox and why you decided to be a White Sox fan versus a Cubs fan. And, you know, around the time that it became more popular with other kids around my age, like I said, Sosa was kind of becoming at the forefront of baseball. The Cubs had an improving team. The White Sox had that 2000 team. But, you know, after falling out of the playoffs quickly, things kind of went south a little bit sooner. But it always felt like there was this rivalry way more than there is now because neither team had won a World Series in forever. The Cubs had Sosa. They had, you know, Wrigley Field and all the hub and the publicity around it and the experience of going to Wrigley Field and watching a Cubs game. Weren't, with the White Sox, there was really none of that. It was just, hey, we're just White Sox fans. We're from the south side. We like to watch baseball. So uh, it was, I don't want to say it was tough, but you definitely had to fight to prove that you're a White Sox fan and you're better 
as a White Sox fan than other people. So let's fast forward. Let's bring it to 2019. And I, I was talking with Rick Hahn earlier this week after the, the announcement about Carlos Rodon. It seems like after a run of really good luck when it came to the, the prospects and the rebuild, that the White Sox have been kind of stung with bad luck with all of their injuries. And that being said, man, as, we, as we're recording, the White Sox are, what, 16 and 14 in their last 30 games. And I'm more hopeful than I thought I would be at this point. And it doesn't really make sense either, does it? You look at the record and you and you look at the the lineup and you go, okay, you know, there's some promise there, and they've been doing this without Eloy Jimenez for the last few weeks. But then you think about it and you go, well, I mean, who who do I really have faith in going forward in this pitching rotation? Because as much as you're promised and you've seen the promise in Giolito and Lopez, you've also seen the other side where they're so inconsistent. Now you have Rodon, who you thought, hey, maybe this is the ace of this pitching staff entering this season he goes down with Tommy John. And the guy that everyone was very hopeful for last year in Kopech, now we don't know what we're going to get with him starting in spring training 2020. And you look at Dylan Cease and you go, okay, Cease has got to be the next man up, right? But I don't think he's even gotten into the sixth inning in any of his starts in Charlotte. And he had Tommy John surgery in high school. It's, it's bad luck, but you – and Han has mentioned this many times in the past. That's why he needs that depth in the organization, the depth in the prospects, because inevitably – Guys are going to get hurt. Guys' careers are going to get derailed for various reasons, and some guys just are not going to pan out. That's why, you know, when you look at the number of prospects in the outfield, for example, you expect some of them are going to pan out. But there's seven guys that you think, hey, these could be major leaguers one day. So you need that depth all across the board. Now you're seeing maybe that depth in the pitching staff in the organization isn't as deep as they originally thought once Dunning goes down. And now Alec Hansen you know, gets relegated to a bullpen role in, in, in a ball, and he can't find the strike zone. So what once seemed like a strength in the organization, you look at and you go, man, this is kind of thin right now, and we don't really know what we have for the future. I think going into 2020, everyone maybe a year ago today would have said, well, we expect Lopez to be in there in that rotation. We expect Giolito to be in there maybe, depending on what he did last year. Um, you for sure thought Kopech would be at the top of that rotation, and you thought Rodon maybe would be a good number two or number three, and then Cease would probably fill it out. There's question marks with all these guys right now, whether it's injury, inconsistency, uh, a lack of production at the major league level, whatever it might be, but you're seeing flashes. So it's hard not to be excited as a White Sox fan when you go, if all these guys hit their potential, which is inevitable that they won't, but you see those flashes of brilliance and you think, this could be a really good five-man staff one day. I'll tell you of all the injuries, and it's a position player. Like the Micah Adolfo one hits me hard because that's like my guy. That's my pick to click. And I'm like, come on, Micah, we we, we know you got it. Just stay healthy. He strikes me as one of those guys, and, and we've all seen the tools that he has. He's got the best arm in the system in the outfield. He's got incredible power. You just want to see him healthy for one full season just to see him really take that I don't want to even say next step because he's got to take that first step to really being one of those top guys. But we all know the potential that he has. So these repeated injuries are really frustrating for him, I'm sure. But it's frustrating as you know, someone who follows the White Sox in this organization because you're, you're rooting for the kid. And you, know, you have this relationship with Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert and Basabi and Adolfo, and they all want to be in that outfield of the future. So when one of those guys gets hurt, I'm sure the whole group feels it. 
No doubt about it. But I will say that you talk about flashes, and it's been exciting to watch Tim Anderson this year. I, I, I'm trying to think of the last time that the White Sox have had had juice, had a player that around the country is getting attention. It's it's. I think it's wonderful, and and my hope is that Tim can play well enough that the attention on him continues to be around the White Sox. And and you want the positive attention too because it's it's what he's doing on the field. It's the flair and what he does off the field. Now you're seeing. With every stolen base, he's donating $500 to his foundation. He, he just, he's a guy that people gravitate to because of that personality. Now, when you combine that with what he's doing on the field, it's, you know, it's a slam dunk. It's, you're, you're getting both sides of it. He's only 25. He'll be 26 in about, what, six weeks or so. So we've all seen the potential with him, and we've seen those flashes. You're not expecting him to continue to hit 320 all year, but – that was kind of his ceiling, right? I mean, you look at a guy who's a high average, not a super high on base percentage guy because he doesn't draw a ton of walks, but if you're hitting 320 or you know, somewhere in between 300 and 320, he can be a very valuable piece. His glove is improving. Obviously, he's one of the best base dealers in baseball, leading the league right now with 13, and he's driving in runs right now. I mean, his pace right now for a 162-game season is really, really good. So I hope that he continues to... And I don't want to say humble himself, but just keep that even keel, which he seems to be pretty good at. You know, the highs and the lows of baseball gets to a lot of guys. If he can kind of figure out at age 26, hey, you know what, I'm not going to get too high, I'm not going to get too low when things aren't going well, and just ride this steady wave throughout the season. I mean, you saw what he did last year, right? 20 home runs, 30 stolen bases. He can do. He can be a 30-30 guy if he really fills out his potential. Eight bombs already this year, I mean, He's a guy that has the the swagger to carry a team and the bat to carry a team too. No, no doubt, and and I bristle like you do when it comes to the 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 idea of on base percentage. But if you're slugging, I I don't care as much. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to slug five fifty or whatever, then I don't care that you're only getting on base because you're hitting. Right, and if you if you got a shortstop who's got an 860 OPS you're not complaining one bit after a 162 game season no you're 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 dead on it's but isn't it nice to actually like even stupid stuff like seeing him interviewed nationally because like, cuz how many times have you and I talked about how people forget the 2005 championship, how we've seen ESPN just completely ignore it when they list the championships in Chicago. And and so to have someone who's kind of the, the flag bearer for the White Sox as a franchise has been, it's been a really, it's been a breath of fresh air. And it's odd because we had arguably the best pitcher in baseball, certainly the best pitcher in the American League and Chris Hale for so long. And he was dominant with the White Sox. But he never quite got that media attention because the team either didn't play up to expectations or even when he had those performances, it's once every five days. Whereas Anderson's in the lineup every day. He's getting publicity nationally. He's getting the attention because, one, he's hitting. Two, he's doing it with a lot of flair. And three, he's kind of pissing off a lot of people around baseball, and I love that about him. I think the last guy that we really had that got any kind of national notoriety was Paul Canerco. And even then, it was really because of that commercial that he had with Tim Hudson with the, with the Black Sox and the White Sox and the Fair Pole, Foul Pole. And it was an ESPN commercial. But Canerco, kind of a quiet guy, a leader, just kind of puts his head down and does the work. 
Anderson is the opposite of that with, with how flashy he is and, you know, likes to chat it up. So I hope he carries this momentum through. And, you know, he could be maybe one day the unexpected star, the face of the franchise, if he continues this pace. Slav, I think that you just hit on something really important when you talked about Anderson being a guy that pisses people off and that you like it. I think there's something inherently it. White Sox about that. I think that that for White Sox fans, there's there's a part of us as a culture that is in like innately about poking people. You know what I mean? So so to have a player like Anderson and know that he bothers people, we almost like rush to embrace that with him. And I think that they're even old school White Sox fans that maybe don't like bat flips or whatever, that have been like, you know what? I'm not really that dude, but Tim's our guy, and if that's what he wants to do, I'm with it. Because more than anything, before we root for an individual, you're rooting for that team. So when that individual is now your representative, you still got to back your boys, right? So no matter what, if Tim Anderson's in the black and white, White Sox fans are going to be supporting him because of that edge that he plays with. And realistically, you know what? If he's pissing off Randall Gritchick and Brad Keller, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> that doesn't bother me because, you know what? Those guys, they can be old school. But if Tim Anderson's got an 860 OPS, he's backing it up with his play too. And that's the whole point. And, and I agree with you with that kind of chip-on-your-shoulder mentality that White Sox as an organization and certainly the fans have. And it feels like Tim Anderson is almost like a representative of that in a very odd way. No, you're 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 on to something there. It's something I, I plan on to ex- exploring throughout the rest of the season. I look forward to the Lopez and Giolito starts now, and it looks like lights are clicking on for both of those guys. I just wish there was more in the rotation because I I think that they could be more competitive this year if they had a representative pitching staff. I, I agree with you, and you know that's kind of going back to what we thought we might have at the beginning of the season. We saw Giolito's struggles last year, but he finished the season strong and started to figure it out a little bit. We've seen Lopez with his inconsistencies, and even at the beginning of the year when it was a little bit chillier, granted we're having great weather today, but it's going to be, May has been terrible. I don't want to talk about it. But <laughs> Lopez strikes me as a guy that he needs to, he's got to have it in the first inning. If he's throwing 94 in the first inning, you know he's not going to have a good start. If he's hitting 97 in the first inning, he's got confidence in his stuff. He's got confidence definitely in the fastball. And for him, the fastball kind of dictates everything else that he does. We've seen the slider with Lopez. When he integrates that changeup a little bit more, he's got that perfect mix, that kind of 11-mile-per-hour difference that a lot of pitchers like to, to highlight. And you know, We had Frank Thomas in the other day when Lopez was on the mound, pitched a gem, longest outing of the season for the Sox, seven and two-thirds fastball command, was able to throw change-ups for strikes and get guys to swing and miss at the slider. It was basically just the perfect um, recipe for success for Lopez. And Frank was sitting there going, look, if he's throwing 97 and the change-up's 11 miles off of that, no one is going to hit that. He has the stuff. Lucas Giolito has the stuff. We thought Carlos Rodon had the stuff, and he still might. But now you're going to you know, wait 18 months to see it again. And now he's basically got to start from scratch. There's a it's almost like a missed opportunity thinking at the end of this year, we might have three guys in our future rotation that we're confident in, in Giolito, Lopez, Rodon. Then you add Cease and Kopech on top of that, and 2020's game on. Now you don't feel as confident about that, but you're seeing flashes from Giolito. I love this kind of shorter, 
release that he's got, shorter motion, and that's always been the key for a guy who's his height and his length. It's tough to repeat that delivery. So he shortened it all up. He's repeating it more. His release point is consistent, and he's got some great stuff. He strikes me as a guy, and I've always kind of made this comparison to Gavin Floyd, taller guy, high prospect, um, never really panned out. Granted, he didn't really get a full opportunity with the Nationals, but he came to the White Sox and was consistently inconsistent in a good way. And if Lucas Giolito has a career similar to Gavin Floyd, I don't think you can really complain because Floyd was, was pretty damn good. He flirted with no hitters a few times just like Giolito has. How fun has it been to watch Moncada go from the guy that was you know struck out 217 times to really showing you why he was the number one prospect in the game? I can't remember who it was that first kind of mentioned this, but his 2018 season is an outlier in his career. Everything that he has done professionally since being a part of organized baseball has been tremendous, except for 2018. He has the best eye on the White Sox. He has the best potential on the White Sox. He has every tool that you need to be a successful major league player, and now you're starting to see some of that confidence that we always knew he had starting to show. I I just wish we could find a consistent spot in the lineup for him. Mm. For me, he should be top three every single day, regardless of if it's a lefty, a righty, if the guy throws with two hands, if he's got one hand, he should be in the top third of the lineup. And and that's one thing that bugs me because he needs those at-bats. Every single at-bat for him is a learning experience, especially if he's going to be in this division for a long time, facing teams like Kansas City or coming up with Minnesota or Detroit. You want to get to know those pitchers that you're facing. And his potential, look what he's doing right now, 290, 877 OPS leads the team. He's played way better at third base, looks to have some more confidence defensively, and I don't think it's ever really been an issue with him until last year. So now we're seeing what Moncada can actually do, and the potential is through the roof. This is a guy that has superstar potential. The way we look at players like Francisco Lindor, it's Frank Thomas, you know, just kind of compared them the other day on the postgame show. You have that guy who has the personality and the skill, similar to a Tim Anderson, to really be a superstar in Major League Baseball. It's weird, man. I don't know if I've I mean, I know that the that organizationally there's still a lot of problems. You got injuries, you have you're wondering if guys are going to reach their potential, but I'm as about as positive about the White Sox as I've been in a really long time. I'm with you to an extent because you're starting I think what makes it positive is that we're finally starting to see these guys play well at the major league level. We've seen Eloy Jimenez do well at AAA. We've seen Moncada do well at AAA. And Tim Anderson have, you know, bursts of success in major league baseball. Now we're seeing it more consistently at the major league level against the top opposition. And, I mean, they're close. They're, they're not close to being a World Series contender, but they're close to being a contender. And right now when you look at the central division, Cleveland is clearly – trending in the wrong direction, and they've got their own injury issues to worry about. The Francona extension was a little bit confusing to me. Um, and the Twins are trending up, but I don't know if I really believe that the Twins are that good. This is I'm not saying the White Sox are going to win the division in 2019. I'm saying they certainly have potential to be competitive. And now I'm excited to see Eloy come up, get back off of his rehab assignment, and hopefully him being able to kind of watch the game from the major league level, know he belongs there, and just watch these guys play might help him just kind of settle down a little bit, get in the box and drive in some runs. 
Slav, this was delightful, man. I appreciate you doing this. This was a lot of fun, and we'll have to do this again. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on. That is Slavko Vekovic from NBC Sports Chicago. He's one of my producers on the football show, but he's a crazy White Sox fan, and I'm glad that you got to hear a little bit of what our White Sox conversations are like when we're in the building together. Hope that 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 scratches your White Sox itch for today. I'll talk to you tomorrow on Loho Daily.